Hello and welcome. You're listening to Fourth Estate, the show where journalists talk journalism. Coming to you from 2SER in Sydney on the Gadigal lands of Eora Nation, right across Australia on the Community Radio Network and directly to your device across the globe via podcast. My name is Peter Frey and I'm the co-director of the Centre for Media Transition at the University of Technology, Sydney. And my producers uh, today are Anthony Dockerell and Julia Carr-Katzel. Today's show is all about shining some light on a dark and chilling week in Australian journalism. As you probably know, not one but two media organisations, News Corporation and the ABC, have been targeted by, uh, by raids by the federal police who were searching for documents and other evidence. And in a separate matter, a commercial radio presenter, Ben Fordham, was warned off for simply reporting that up to six new boatloads of asylum seekers were on their way to Australia. But the raids, the raids were long and invasive. In the case of the news news corp journal Anika Smethers, the cops turned up at her home and spent the day basically going through her home computer and other other, uh, places where they might find some evidence. And in the other matter, several plainclothes officers visited the Ultimo office of the ABC, again spending up to about eight hours sifting through data and documents and computers. Both cases involved the leaking of sensitive national security secrets. And the AFP says the raids were not directed by the government and they were not intended to intimidate journos. Um, But in both cases, the police were looking to chase down the leakers, the whistleblowers, and they may also be looking, in a rather chilling development, at prosecuting the journalists involved. That's not yet clear, but it is possible. So the AFP says it's basically doing its job to protect the national security. Well, I would say, and I'm sure our panel will say, that journalists were simply doing their job of holding the powerful to account and publishing secrets. In the News Corp case, the secrets were plans to allow the defense spy agency, the DSD, to use its surveillance powers against us, against Australian citizens. And in the ABC's case, the allegations were involving the activities of Australian special soldiers, special service soldiers serving in in Afghanistan. More about that in a minute. Both stories were undoubtedly in the national interest, embarrassing as they may have been for the government and its agencies. So let, let's just briefly put in a bit of context here. There is nothing new about cops raiding journals, about cops tracking down the source of leaks and pursuing editors, publishers and reporters. What's unprecedented here is the concentrated nature of the action two or three in in a short space of time, the all-encompassing nature of the search warrants, especially in the ABC case, where the police had the power to not only search for information, but also delete, yes, delete information, and the outrage prompted by the raids across the news media industry and anyone else committed to press freedom. There is a palpable sense of shock. There is a real sense of unity among journos and their supporters. So today I want to explore what next. Will the outrage last? And if so, to what end? Is this a watershed moment for press freedom in this country? Or will, as one journo with first-hand experience of being raided, told me earlier today, the outrage will be over by Sunday? His point is that the both, main, both the main parties, the Coalition and Labour, passed tough security legislation last year. So there is another unity ticket going on, if you like, and that is politicians sticking together and only paying lip service to press freedom in matters involving national security. So who knew that Peter Dutton was such a persuasive guy? I'm going to explore these and other questions with a fabulous panel in a minute or two. 
But first, I canvassed a few of the views of journalists working at the coalface and a media scholar with some expertise in the area. Damien Cave, the head of the New York Times' bureau in Australia, has suggested that Australia may be the world's most secretive democracy as a result of these raids. Uh, Damien joins me on the line now. Hello, Damien. Hi. So uh, maybe you can expand on that a bit because uh, that's quite a claim. Yeah, I mean, this isn't my claim. This is the claim of experts who know Australian law and democracy even better than me. And their argument is that you just have to look at the evidence. I mean, these raids are just the latest example of a trend that's been going on for a long time, but especially since 9-11, where laws have been added and amended to make secrecy the dominant law of the land. Um, It's all based on many of this stuff, on a law from 1914, which was used for the warrant for the ABC, and it basically says that no one can share anything with their boss's permission, right? That's what the law says. And exactly. if you, yep. you take that and then you add to that all these layers of new laws, more than 60 since 9-11, more than any other democracy in the world, you end up with a country that is arguably the most secretive developed democracy in the world. Uh, I don't think that actually is as surprising or shocking to those who really look at this stuff with international perspective. But when you were sent, when you came here a few years ago, at no point would you have thought, hey, I'm going off to the world's most secretive democracy, right? No, absolutely not. I mean, the image that Australia sends out to the world is, look at how open and blunt we are. And I think that's very much a part of the national character. But the divide between the way government works and the way the culture works is enormous. And, you know, a lot of Australians maybe haven't even recognized themselves this power grab, this degree of overreach the government has been engaged in for really quite a long time. A final question. Do you think this is the events of the last few days are a sort of watershed? You know, I'm really curious to see if that's the case. I think it's really interesting that, you know, these raids, the government is targeting a wide range of journalists from News Corp to the ABC, and they're targeting stories that are kind of quite clearly in the public interest. So, you know, this has the potential to really change the game, at least in terms of the media, in terms of the momentum. Many of us have been talking privately, frankly, about these issues of transparency and secrecy for a long time behind the scenes. There's a lot of outrage, senior levels of journalism in Australia that has been building for a very long time. But at the end of the day, this only works if the public gets behind us. You know, the media is not very well trusted. We could all do a better job of doing our jobs and explaining why things like transparency matter. And so no matter how outraged we all get as part of our little tribe, it can only go so far if the public's behind us. Joining me now is Johan Liegberg, a journalism scholar and an expert in press freedom from Monash University, whose most recent book is called In the Name of Security, Secrecy, Surveillance and Journalism. It's a very fine book, and we've done a whole episode on it on the Fourth Estate. Uh, Johan, thanks for coming on the show. You're, you're welcome. You're welcome. Just to deal with this, uh, what's really been going on behind the scenes uh, in terms of legislation, uh, the amendments to security laws last year, the, but supported by both the uh, government and the and the Labour opposition, uh, means that journalists could be charged with committing a crime if they publish information regardless of intent to endanger national security. So Australia doesn't have a Charter of Rights or a First Amendment like the U.S., so is it time we have in our laws an explicit right to freedom of the press in our democracy? And if so, what does that look like? Absolutely. I mean, we have been discussing a Bill of Rights or a Charter, whatever you want to call it, for decades now in Australia. But I think think we have to be realistic and just uh, 
admit that we're not going to get a Bill of Rights because mm. Australians don't really like changing constitution and so on. So I think the most uh, quickest and reasonable thing to do is to come up with some sort of Media Freedom Act. I know Peter Gresty has suggested one and his organisation to come up with a mm-hmm. white paper, and I think that would be the most doable thing. I mean, it's at the moment, with the recent amendments that you were talking about, it's it's impossible to keep track of all this. You know, from a, from a working journalist point of view, mm. how can you ask of anyone to be able to keep track of these 64-plus amendments and changes and new laws that have been passed since 2001? So it sort of sends the message of stay away from reporting national security and, and, uh, and uh, terrorism issues because it's just too hard. Yeah, it's the chilling effect, right? Absolutely, absolutely. So this act would somehow need to bring together everything that is now sort of floating around. So we've got shield laws for journalists that are protecting their sources, which is uh, in all jurisdictions but one now in Australia, but we don't really know how they're going to work because it's up to each presiding judge to apply them. Mm. There's two or three test cases, but will they really work? That needs to be brought in. We need to have this act to need to somehow deal with this huge blanket that has been created by all these new laws and acts that have come through. So it needs to set out, I suppose, the ground playing rules, the baseline between journalism and the state. Well, um, so I, I guess the central question here is how, how do we, very broadly, journalism academics, the news media industry, supporters of you know democracy, freedom and the press, how does this happen? I, I, there was a statement was put out by uh, JIRA, which is the Journalism Education Association, and you, you were part of that, um, which you know talks describes the problem. I think we're very good at describing the problem. The question really is how do we galvanize this, this moment this moment and turn it into action because frankly I think the Press Freedom Act that Peter Grester is talking about was far more likely to happen if we had had a change of government uh, a few weeks ago and I don't I'm not you know maybe I'm wrong but I don't it doesn't seem that the coalition government is particularly going to be up for it how do we change that so it's I think you're right there it's pretty safe to say that the current government has got very very little interest in this um the opposition needs to step up. I mean, the uh, Labour Party has clearly been very much part of creating uh, the current national security climate that we're in in Australia. So uh, they they need to somehow step up and really take this to the government now and, and you know, take the side of actually meaningfully redrawing the base playing rules for media and journalism in this country in relation to national security. So I think the way forward is to engage with the opposition on this and via them try to trying to engage the government. But, yeah, in the current climate, it, it's hard to see how it would um, actually happen. Joining me now is Leo Shanahan, the newly minted media editor of The Oz, and, a, and he has a job on Sky News. Congratulations uh, on the new, new job. What's the, new, what's the uh, part of Sky News again? I'm co-host of uh, Business Weekend with uh, Tiki Thornton on Sky. What an interesting pairing. Um, let's let's go cut to the chase here. What impact do you think these rays will have on the news media industry? Yeah, Peter, I don't think anything quite galvanises the media like uh, an attack on hmm. on uh, the idea of their freedom and uh, and and their ability to report. And I think in this instance, we've we've seen that it's the, uh, the images themselves are confronting. And you have 
AFP officers leaving uh, the House of uh, Annika Smithhurst, uh, as well as the ABC yesterday. But it's the power behind these raids, I think, which is disturbing, and the, and the breadth of these warrants uh, that uh, the police carry with them. Yeah, it's uh, remarkable, isn't it? Back. I mean, the, the warrant in the ABC matter uh, enabled them to delete information. I've never, yes. heard, I've never heard of that and, before. And uh, seemingly, uh, you know, these are national security issues involved. Uh, and, and I think a point to make here is that this happens a lot more often than perhaps people realise to journalists. This, these, these two cases being so close together, and uh, I suppose the, the public nature of them uh, has attracted a lot of publicity. But, I mean, for example, and I tell this story not to talk myself up, I mean, to show that this happens quite regularly. A couple of years ago, the ICAC came up to my office, I think you were my editor back then, and uh, took notebooks and recordings of an interview I did with the uh, with the OBIDs. Mm. I then been asked to cooperate in a trial uh, in, in evidence against them. There's another case where I've been um, a subject of my interviews is now being charged under a National Security Act to do with ACES. Uh, I could be called up into that anytime soon. I won't be able to talk about that because it's all covered by national security mm. legislation. Now, the point is that this actually happens a fair bit. Uh, and to most journalists I know, this has happened in some way or another. Uh, and the question is, what do we? What are our? What is our capacity to do about it as a kind of more united front? And, and do we possess that capacity longer term to maintain the rage? Yeah, so well, that's speak? that's the key thing. And I, I think, I mean, I'm not sure what your view is, but it seems to me that the the news media industry can't necessarily do this one on its own. I mean, we've had the Right to Know Coalition for quite some time. It's done some great work, but. You know, we still had uh, Labour and the and the coalition joining together last year to pass these new laws. So, yeah, what needs to happen is a really interesting question. What's your thoughts? Well, yeah, and I mean, I'm I'm not a constitutional expert, but I, I mean, I do understand that within our constitution, we, you know, it's very, it's it's a, it's only a red in notion of freedom of the press by a couple of big uh, court cases in the High Court. It's not actually explicit mm. uh, in, in the First Amendment sense. So yeah. there are other much more protective uh, laws in the U.S. Yeah. Uh, for journalists. Uh, and I think as a body, uh, there's nothing more powerful than, than the media companies who can who can agree on an issue and put pressure on, on, on governments. Uh, they're mm. extremely powerful at the best of times individually. And uh, if that is, if they do possess that capacity to band together, uh, I, I would imagine governments would be... Uh, well, uh, pretty loath to uh, put up much of a defence. Leo, before I let you go, I, I believe there's going to be more raids. Is that your understanding? Look, Peter, I can't comment too much on that, but uh, what I could say is that we, uh, the, the Australian reported this morning, there was an expectation of further raids at News Corp, uh, and uh, those did not eventuate. It's not clear why the AFP has taken so long to get around to knocking on the door, and the government has been at pains to distance itself from the timing. In other words, it's not got, it's got nothing to do with the fact the election is over and the coalition is back in power. I personally am not so sure about that, but maybe I'm just a cynical journalist. I am reliably told, though, that Smethers knew that something like this would happen uh, for, uh, immediately after she published her piece because one of the parts of that story was that uh, they published a picture of the actual leaked document. And that was prima facie evidence that the secret document had been passed to a journal. And that is very much covered by this new legislation. Just before we get to the panel, I, wanted, I just wanted to explore how we got to this point. 
Last year, just to be clear, the government, with Labour's aid, passed new security laws creating a new offence, the offence of, quote, dealing in classified information, especially in information relating to national security. And in that word dealing includes the words handling, communicating and retaining classified information. And in that word communication or communicating takes in what journalists do, i.e. publishing. So up to then, publishing itself was not an offence. So now the new laws do include a public interest test, and that's kind of the sop to journalism, but that public interest test has not yet been tested. And as publishers only know too well, defending a publication on national security grounds is going to cost a lot of money, a lot of time, a lot of effort. So there's a real danger here that there will be a chilling effect on the actions of journalists and whistleblowers. In short, press freedom in Australia and the world, but in Australia, is threatened. Let's turn to our panel. We've got a lot to discuss, so we've recruited just the right panel to do so. We have, in no particular order, but I'm going to introduce Michael Strom first, who is the president of the uh, Journalist Union, the MEAA. Um, he is a former Fairfax journalist of some note, great science reporter, among other things. Fantastic sub. I, mean, I could just go on. And now you're at University of Sydney. Hello, Marcus. Hi, Peter. Thanks for having me on. Great pleasure. Uh, Yarabu Mellon is a Walkley winning uh, video journalist. Her reporting has taken her all over the world. She's just got back from Berlin. She looks a little bit jet lagged. <laughs> um, she's been to Syria, Libya, you name it. She's been there. She's done that. And most recently, or really interestingly, she's been doing some fantastic work about press freedom in uh, in the, our region, in particular the Philippines. Hello. Great to be here. Great. Thanks for coming on. And David Skipinka, who has revealed to me just a few minutes ago that he was one of the original driving forces to earn the Right to Know Coalition, which is a public Right to Know Coalition, which has previously unified the media industry around these issues. He is currently the head of Telemedia, uh, where he's, uh, he specializes in media and in corporate affairs. And you've had a lot of experience in Australia and the UK. And I'm interestingly in uh, Telem, because why, why, apart from many other reasons to have you on the show, uh, David, is that Telem kind of has a kind of helicopter view of what's going on in the industry. That's right. Thank you so much for having me. I think my boss would say she was probably the driving ah. force of, of the Right to Know campaign, but it was a lot of fun to work on it and super interesting. So let's start with this unity ticket in news media. Uh, the country's me- news media has spoken, the likes of the Oz, the City Morning Herald, the Guardian, Sky News, the Telegraph. They've all, this story has led all their bulletins, websites with, and, and, and websites. Uh, there's been a lot of outrage. Um, really interesting, I think, was the ABC during the raids uh, at the, uh, in Ultimo, where the head of investigations, John Lyons, documented the raids with Twitter, copying the first two pages of the of the warrant. And it was great work by John, if you're listening. Um, he was witness to nine hours of, uh, you know, worth of warrant documents, data uploads, uh, coffee. John tweeted the entire process saying, I've never seen an assault on the media as savage as this. I've never seen a warrant this comprehensive, and I'd say scary. The chilling message is not so much for journalists, but it's also for the public. Marcus, how did we get to this point? Did this come out of a blue sky or has this been building up? This has been building up for years, if not uh, decades, probably since um, 9-11, 2001. Mm -hmm. There's been, I think, at least 13 or 14 iterations of reviews of national security laws since then that has ratcheted up the ability for the police and the government to censor 
what is done in the media in the interests of so-called national security, which of course is a legitimate concern for governments. But it's been a uh, game of brinkmanship and bluff by both major parties, neither of which wants to open uh, a fight with the other on national security or be seen to be weak on national security. So oppositions have just let these ref- so-called reforms pass through. Well, it's, it's, come, it's become a bit like the, you know, the asylum seeker issue, isn't it? No, no one party wants to blink. Yeah, so we've ended up with a, uh, you know, a, a bunch of laws that allow the AFP to do what they did. So in that sense, it's not really the AFP's fault. Sure. Um, it is a, a political and legisl- legislative climate um, that the major political parties have allowed to grow. And what, what government eventually or what police force eventually doesn't use the powers that it can use. Oh, that's right. I mean, almost it's compelled to do so. Just We spoke to Damien Cave um, from the New York Times earlier, and he has written you know, a piece talking about Australia being the most secretive democracy in the world. Yara, how does that make you feel? <laughs> oh, well, as a freelance... Well, you travel all over the world. Yeah, I mean, no, exactly. I, I travel all over the world and I cover issues relating to journalists, journalists uh, coming under uh, you know, the wrong side of the law or under the hammer by authoritarian regimes. And I suppose what I found really poignant about the raids um, is when Gavin Morris, the director of news and current affairs at the ABC, who was named in the warrant, came yeah. outside and said, journalism is not a crime, which is the same sort of line that you hear from embattled journalists in mostly authoritarian Ooh. regime-run countries. Um, and here we have the, direct, the director of news and current affairs at the ABC, the public broadcaster, saying journalism is not a crime because mm. now journalists in Australia are heavily under assault. And so this, this is something that's concerning not just for journalists but any but anyone who cares about um, you know, upholding the public's right to know about certain things and also keeping power accountable because that is what our job is essentially. That's what we do. Let's, let's go back to a, a point that I think Marcus made, and that is, so there is a balance here. I mean, I'm, I'm, you know, I want to shed some light here. There is a balance between, if you like, the limits of the public interest or national interest and, and this right to know concept. So how do we, David... How do we, I mean, this is a tricky question, but how do we go about balancing that, right? How do we, how do we keep secrets, but actually do our job? I think you've, I mean, that, that is, that is the, the crux of the issue entirely. I think, you know, uh, Peter Credlin um, had a segment on Sky last night talking about exactly this. You know, um, she came out, you know, on the side of government, on, on the side of the current set of laws, basically saying that, you know, Cabinet needs the opportunity to discuss and come up with mm. proposals. I'm um, in pri- Yeah, but I mean, you know, that, that's her point of view, you know, to come up with proposals in private. The, the process in this particular instance, you know, talking about Annika Smethurst's case, mm. was that the Cabinet shot down the proposals point blank. But even if it had gone through to, to you know, be debated in Parliament, it would have been done so in, in open light. Now, you know... Well, we don't know that. But in order to change legislation, her argument was in order to change legislation, it would have had to have been debated in Parliament mm. and therefore people would have known about it and therefore it wasn't a whistleblower, it was simply a leaker. So I, I, I take the point. However, what I think is really disturbing is that you've got a situation where government is regulating 
media. Mm. Um, you know, we we you know whether you agree that Julian Assange is a um, a journalist or not, the Australian media kind of came out and said, look, we we take and and American media, you know, Western media came out very strongly and said. The media takes a lot of care to make sure that what is released is, you know, okay for informants. It's not going to hurt them. It's not going to, you know, hurt national security, et cetera, et cetera. Um, and yet now we're in a situation where government seems to be regulating that exact point. Um, so editorial process seems to be taken away or being taken away from the newsrooms, which yeah. I think is quite Okay, that's quite a scary. very fair point. So, Marcus, um, good point from David. What needs to happen? I mean, you know, we, we have an inflection point here, right? I, I do Absolutely. think it's a watershed. So what we've got an opportunity is there's a crisis, never waste a good crisis. So we what, so what's been revealed is the complete inadequacy of the laws that govern these matters, and we need a positive defence and a positive protection in the laws for whistleblowers and journalists. At the moment, all that exists is a um, a right to defend yourself. Given a national uh, a public interest test, so it's in the breach. In other words, yes, it's in the breach where oh. it should be a, a positive uh, protection. That's what that's what actually needs to happen. And also, the government is riven with hypocrisy. This was a politically motivated uh, attack on journalism designed to intimidate whistleblowers and journalists. Uh, the government, government ministers, leak sensitive information constantly <laughs> to their pet newspapers. And uh, then front them days later and say, sure. oh, yes, I can confirm that story is actually true. They fly, they fly it up the flag. Yeah, and yeah, yeah. does the AFP um, investigate those? No, they do not. That, that is a political decision. That is, it can, it's, it's not an operational decision. That's a political decision. There are breach, cabinet breaches constantly um, in, in Parliament, uh, and if it's uh, a leak to promote a policy by the government, it's ignored. But we should also say that all governments are the, are the oh, same. Absolutely. Right? Was just no, as, absolutely. Yeah, all, I'm yeah. not, it's the political process. So, yes, they very want it cynic- both ways, in other words. It's very cynical. They Exactly. Yeah. They want it both ways. They want to control the message. I mean, if government had its way, all all the newspapers would do was publish, would be published press releases put out by ministers. And mm. I mean, and... So the, just just to, just to expand on this a bit on what needs to happen, Peter Gresta and others have put up this media freedoms bill, this kind of omnibus idea uh, that uh, essentially that media freedom would be enshrined as a sort of central tenant in in all legislation. This is kind of a checklist. Oh, does this impinge on media freedom? Is that where we should be going? Or? Yeah, something along that. So if you read every year, MIA, our union, puts out um, its annual press freedom report. Mm. And we've been saying year after year that there needs to be a positive protection for journalists and whistleblowers enshrined in law. This is not a new call, but I'm glad that it's crystallising and it looks... Yes, there's a crisis, and I'm hoping that the media companies, the publishers, the law reform organisations can come together and put maximum pressure on the parliament to try and uh, put their money where you know where their mouth is, which is they say they're in favour of press freedom. Okay, let's see it. Let's hmm. see it in practice. Change the law. David, one of the reasons uh, we were actually going to talk uh, about uh, the state of the jobs in the industry, I mean, I think that the, the week's events have sort of take us beyond that but we will get back to that but you have a kind of helicopter view of the industry how do you see sort of events like this shaping the kind of way forward for journalism in particular young journalists who are thinking about you know going into the industry i think you know the 
when journalists who want to be investigative journalists and who imagine winning a Walkley and want to get on the front page, you know, enter the industry, that, that that's a huge number of those journos. I think the, 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 the challenge for something or the challenge of something like this is that we're moving away from journalism and into content. So people are no longer... Uh, going into the industry to be journalists. That shoe leather reporting, you know, is becoming, you know, far more infrequent and, and harder to do. There are pockets of, you know, growth there. You know, what's happening down at Crikey is, is really mm. interesting. And, you know, Nine is hiring some great people. But it's really small, small pockets of, 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 of exciting new things. So I think, you know, the definition of what what is journalism is changing for, for exactly these reasons. People ask, you know, I'm not going to say that, that the people I speak to are scared, but I've certainly heard stories of, you know, seasoned journalists going through their houses in the last couple of days and throwing things away, mm, you know, well, or, yeah. or clearing them, moving them to the office, not destroying evidence like that, but just moving them. Well, of course, you, the AFP didn't search Annika's office at all. No, they searched straight to the house. house. Straight to the house. That's an interesting... Do you have any theory on that? Does anyone have a theory on why they went to the house, not the not to the press gallery? I know nothing... I mean, obviously, they knew stuff. You know, I, I know nothing in particular, but, I mean, you know, look, I've worked for big organisations where left hand doesn't talk to right hand and you release things publicly you know in an order that's probably not great but one raid on a journalist is sort of you know a big deal two in two days mm. is either deliberate or a serious stuff up somewhere along the way in terms of public perception or it's intended well, uh, as well we it do, seems uh, intentional yeah, doesn't it exactly I mean, well it seems it does seem like the yeah. Public yeah. And, and journalists and mm. whistleblowers from putting out any information well we, we spoke to leo shanahan from the australian the new mediator there and they were expecting a, a raid today yes i've heard that from and, a few places i and, don't know where but to have two and the the afp have been at pains to say that these cases are not connected whatsoever mm. so the only thing that connects them is their timing mm. so their timing is deliberate and it is a clear attempt to intimidate whistleblowers and journalists and that if it is true that there was a third one being planned and that they pu- pulled out of it, they did not expect the backlash. And that gives me hope, gives me confidence. And journalists and, you know, people who, dare I say it, freedom lovers, people who are pro-democracy should take heart from that, that we can fight back against draconian attacks on a free press. And that is what this is. And if they've been beaten back to only have two out of three raids, great. They're threatening more in the press conference they've just given. Mm. Um, But we should put maximum pressure on them and we should put maximum pressure on politicians to change the law and to stop police raids on journalists. How empathetic, I mean, this is for you, Yaren, and the rest of the panel. You know, no one, in my view, goes into journalism to be loved. It's not that game, right? We don't do it to be loved by the citizens. But, and, so, and yet, really, for this to happen, for, for this, this movement to really take hold, we have to gather public support as well. How do we go about that? For journalism? Yeah, yeah. Well, I think there needs to be some sort of um, education, I suppose, for the public to understand that mm. journalism, that the role of journalism has always been um, to act as the fourth estate, to be a check on the balances on okay. the Marcus, yeah. you got any plans at the union so, for this? So I think we need to go... I, I actually don't think this is about journalism. You're being it's about democracy. This is about democracy. This is about um, the citizens being able to have access to information. This is about a government that wants to make decisions in secret without transparency. This is a culture of keep people ignorant, 
and make decisions behind their back. It's, it is about democracy. Journalism is, um, is the messenger. And also, yes, we are the, the fourth estate that holds people to account. So we need to reach out to the public. And if it's about journalism or journalists, yeah, the public will go, who cares? Right. It has to be about them. It has to be about democracy. It's about their right to know. It's, their, it's about their uh, democratic access to information. And we are the conduits for that information. Well, David, you're, you've, you've got a, a marketing brain among your journalistic brain. How would you go about selling that to the public? Wow, that's a big question. I know. I'm, um, I'm, I'm trying to make us all lots of money. Yeah. Well, Marcus, lots of money anyway. Uh, you know, I, you know, I think it, it's. I first of all, it's not an overnight thing. It, you don't just put out a campaign or a billboard or a nice YouTube ad. It doesn't just happen that quickly. Um, I think uh, the greatest thing that that the that probably needs to happen is the media needs to continue and enhance its reporting that it's currently doing to show its value. I mean, you know, you've seen, for example, in the US, the New York Times, who has kind of been pretty fearless, and the Washington Post as well, and others, who've been fearless in reporting in the face of a lot of, you know, backlash from administration. Um, People now appreciate this kind of voice. They appreciate that their, um, you know, their freedoms and their 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 right to know things. Well, certain people do, right? I think this is the issue, isn't it? Certainly. I mean, you know, the. I mean, you know, I don't think America is. Sorry, Australia is America. I don't think there's a division quite the same way that there is here that there is there. Well, they have press freedom yeah. protections. They, they, yeah, they certainly have a First do. Amendment. So yep. they, I mean, they, they certainly don't do. have to think about so, it. So I think, I mean, in the last two decades, we've seen the weakening of newsrooms. Mm. And I think we've seen governments the world over trying to take advantage of that. I mean, it, for me, it was typified um, by Scott Morrison trapping all the gallery journalists on a bus while he did a, a walkabout in a shopping centre and he didn't allow the press gallery to go with them. Mm. It is It is a cynical attempt to take advantage of a... Uh, a somewhat weakened uh, news culture given the, the loss of funding and so on. And it's not just from government, it's from corporates as well. I mean, if, from Media Watch this week, mm, uh, revealing story. the Adani tooling up to intimidate um, uh, the ABC or intimidate other news organisations to get its message across. And I think what we have to do as journalists, and this is what the union is about, is about not just building alliances with publishers but empowering our members to be confident to fight back. I mean, as we've been uh, talking, I've had a, a text message from the head of the House Committee at the uh, Sydney Morning Herald saying they've just met, they've had photos, they've passed a solidarity motion with the ABC and News Corp, and uh, we're putting out a call this afternoon across all newsrooms, calling with similar actions across the country to stand up and say, we won't be intimidated, journalism is not a crime. We're going to be on a unity ticket with Marcus Strom and Miranda Devine. Absolutely. Yeah. That's my dream. Miranda Devine, David Marr, together, campaigning. I, I think it will happen. I do really think it will happen. It just, uh, we're running out of time, but I did want to touch on the Adani story. What I'm still unclear about, and if anyone has got any insight. So the so the Adani calls up and says, hey, you know, we've, we've been asked these questions which indicate, you know, you don't understand the story. Now, there's nothing new in that whatsoever. What seems to be remarkable about what happened next is that then the story doesn't get run. And not just in Saturday AM, where it was due to be run on the ABC, but not at all. So Adani appears to have won in this matter. Do you have any thoughts about that, Yara? I don't know if they've won. Now, now it's sort of. Well, been... they were just talking about it all the time. Yeah, maybe they haven't. Yeah, I mean, now, now it's sort of been revealed that they 
have this sort of machinery in place to uh, silence journalism mm. and silence journalists and silence any criticism. So I think that makes them look really bad. It's a very NRA lobby ta- style tactic that they're using here where they're just going to bark and bite as many journalists as they can or any as many critics as they can. But as David said, you know, we, we are in a shifting space in terms of journalists. We have lots of people who still believe in the mission, as it were, but there's a lot of people going into the industry, possibly not to uh, take it to the man, so to speak. Right. Yeah, I think that's absolutely fair. I mean, when you look at so Tellem has a has a database of basically every journalist in in Australia. That's oh my god, you surveil us? Not not exactly. No, <laughs> but that's kind of the idea is so that you know people know who's doing what in the industry. Um, and when you look at it, I mean, yes, general news is still the the largest sector by far in Australia. But then, very close behind is lifestyle and entertainment um, mm. and sport. You know, I mean, it's not investigative is, journalism. Is it that? Is that become more prevalent? In that De- I mean, definitely. I mean, the lifestyle space, the entertainment space. You know, the the softer stuff that gets the mm. clicks and gets the the views. That that's certainly growing. Well, so I, I don't think that's a problem. I mean, journalism does need to make money. Ha- make money. It mm. needs to have a sustainable We've model. Had the color supplement, and that stuff do. can fund the investigative um, yep. reporting. And I don't think that people who are doing the lifestyle content, you know, clickbait sort of thing are going to go after the Adanis of the world. That will be the investigative reporters. Mm. And they're the and that's and that's the central question is whether that where the money is going from. To, to do investigations, say for instance. Well, that's where that's why you have the lifestyle entertainment clickbait. Yeah. Well, yeah, I mean, I guess, is it being spent there on needs to be, journalism? Is there my needs point. to be that balance. I mean, the fight we used to have in Fairfax all the time, we would say to Greg Highwood, you're making squillions of dollars in domain. Why don't you use that? And we know what happened. To subsidize. <laughs> he cut it <laughs> he off. Got, he, he, <laughs> why, don't you, why don't you use that to subsidize investigative journalism? And uh-huh. he was saying, oh, no, the news has to wash its own face. I learned all these um, <laughs> all these accounting McKinsey type. Um, exactly. And what happened was that they ended up separating domain from the rest of the. You know the journalistic body, and um, and now it's the but, but only thing I, that's worth any money. I, what we were originally <laughs> going to talk today, I think there is a, a bit of confidence returning to newsrooms. Yep. Um, uh, at the ABC, I mean, um, I had uh, I had uh, lunch with John Lyon the other day, and he was he's saying he thinks he's overseeing one of the largest investigative teams in the world. There were mm. thirty people at the ABC who just do investigations. Yeah, that's huge. And yeah. it's, it's one of the biggest teams in the world mm. um you've got investment in crikey i think you've got um sub editors coming back to the sydney morning herald the age and the fin review so uh membership of the union is you know had flatlined and is going up a little bit so okay. i think there are there are springs of you know uh, buds well, so, of springs. so final question bring it back to what we've been talking about mainly is will this help or hinder that that trend yeah. Do you think more people want to be a journalist because the, they can get rated by the AFP? Oh, no, definitely not. I don't think more, more... I think young journalists wanting to come into the industry will look at this and be like, oh, do I really want to have that sort of life? Um, it, it's not glamorous. Journalism is by no means glamorous unless you take the softer approach to mm. things. Okay. Marcus, uh, what do you think about that? I, I'm not so sure about that. I think the romance of... Uh, the romance of journalism um, could have got a bit of a, a resuscitation from this, that it's reminded people of what our mission is. Handling classified uh, information is what journalists do, and it's seen as the sort of mm-hmm. the pinnacle, the peak, the most romantic and okay. uh, 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 All right. Well, where do you stand mission. on the romantic notion or not, David? 
I think final word with I, you. I, th- I think people who I think it, it will certainly reinvigorate people. And just from a, a talent perspective, what I can tell you is that over the last few years, we haven't seen the number of journalists in Australia decrease. We've actually seen that increase. Right. That's as so, I say. That was what we were going to talk about today. Yeah. And we'll, we'll, we'll talk about it very soon. No, I but I, th- I think you know, just just to sort of finish that off, I think mm. you know, people aren't exiting the industry in droves. Which are you talking about graduates or are you talking about Generally speaking, journalists? the whole industry is growing. That's what we see. Now, it's changing in, in shape, but, you know, certainly the actual number of people creating news, you know, what we would consider to be news and content in that mm. sense is growing. Well, maybe this will create increase both, right? We'll have more lifestyle journalists, which is what you where that growth is, I'm assuming. It's all over the show. Okay, and we're going to have more investor journalists too, which is perhaps a happy note to end this more, And more this members for the union. Uh, it's happy, Marcus Strong. <laughs> okay, well, we've been talking to Marcus Strong, the federal president of the MEAA, the Journalist Union, to Yarrabul Mellum, who is a Walkley Award-winning freelance video maker, journalist extraordinaire, investigative journalist extraordinaire, I might add, and David Skopinka, the head of telemedia, and um, and many other things. Thank you so much, all three of you, for coming along. Thank thanks, you, Peter. Peter. Great to be here. And and thanks everyone for listening to the Fourth Estate. This edition was recorded at the studios of Two SER and heard across the country on the Community Radio Network. Make sure you're subscribed to the Fourth Estate on your favourite podcast app so you can hear us talk media, politics, and a few things in between at your leisure. And we'll be back with more next week. But in the meantime, you can stay in touch with us on Twitter, where our handle is Fourth Estate AU. Many thanks to my producers, Anthony Dockrell and Julia Carr-Katzel. My name is Peter Frey. Thanks very much for listening. <laughs> <laughs>